Good morning. Welcome to the Lord's house and welcome online too if you're watching. Uh, we're in a series called Out of the Ordinary. And as I mentioned in the uh, welcome earlier, it, it's an incredible series if you love character studies. And these are character studies of people that are not well known. We're not talking about King David. We're not talking about Abraham. We're not talking about Moses. In fact, we've been focusing on people that are hardly known at all. The first week we talked about Abigail and the importance of intervention. The reason I mention these is because uh, it, you would do well to just go back and, and listen to those if you haven't, or if the topic is of interest to you, to just go back and review those topics as well. So Abigail, the art of intervention. Then we dealt with Barnabas, a fellow in the New Testament, not an apostle, but key to the apostolic work that was done there on the power of friendship. And then last week, Pastor Garrett was up here and he talked about Jehoshaphat and a search for truth, an important topic in this day and age for sure. And today we're talking about a person so obscure, she doesn't even have a name. She's just called Naaman's servant girl. And it's all about adversity. Raise your hand if you've ever dealt with any adversity in life. You know, if, if you've been to grade school, you've dealt with adversity. You know, and if you've been beyond that, you've certainly dealt with serious adversity. So it's an important topic that we're going to discuss today. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, just breathe into our life the important lesson of, of, of how to endure, but not only endure, how to overcome, but not only overcome, but how to use adversity as a blessing in our life. And and we thank you, Lord, for this story. We thank you for this obscure young girl and for the faith that she evidenced. You know, let us be encouraged, Lord, by your Holy Spirit moving in our heart uh, as we examine your word on this topic through Christ. Amen. Well, adversity is defined in the dictionary as facing a setback, that which is opposes or that which is adverse to our progress. Those things that create a stumbling block, those things that throw a wrench into our plans, those things that make us stop and consider, all of us face adversity. Now just to be perfectly straight up with you, uh, when I think of this topic, I think of the many times that I've conducted wedding ceremonies. When I think adversity, I think marriage. Don't know why. <laughs> not in the way that you assume, though, not in the way that you assume. Uh, I think of it because typically, not always, because certainly people are marrying later and we have remarriages as well. But you see this naive young couple, you know, with all their naive young friends, you know, come into the sanctuary. And uh, I see behind them their older friends and their older families, grandparents and the like, who probably could teach them worlds about what they're ready to experience but they're not willing to listen. You know, they're just naive. They just don't believe that they'll encounter all of those difficulties. You know, when you say the vows for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, they always think it's going to be for better, it's going to be for richer, and it's going to be healthy. You know, they just assume those things. It's the way it is. But that's not always the case. In fact, there's a poem that comes to mind for me. In fact, I've used it a few times uh, in wedding ceremonies, uh, epithalamium. It, it's a Greek word that just means wedding poem, epithalamium. And uh, this poem speaks to the truth that 
you're going to face some adversity. You don't believe that, you don't know that, but that's about to happen. And it's not going to be all bad. The poem goes, the raw materials of love are yours. Fond hearts and lusty blood and minds in tune. Dorothy, are you out in the lobby? She's about to get married. We're having a wedding shower for her. She's one of our uh, 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 staff people that works out there. And so, dear innocents, you think yourselves lovers full-blown. Am I, because I own a chisel, a mallet, and stone, a sculptor? And must he who hears a skylark and can hold a pin or poet be a poet be? Why, if neither so, why then you are not yet lovers, but in time to come, if senses grow not dulled nor spirit dumb by constant exercise of skill and wit and patient toil and judgment exquisite of body, mind, and heart, you may, my innocence, fashion this tenderness, this liking, this passion into a work of art. You may. But the sculptor is going to have to use the mallet. He's going to have to use the chisel. And if you think of God doing that, it's going to be somewhat painful. But out of that comes something really, truly remarkable, something awesome. But I couldn't help but think of this. You know, I saw it uh, on a friend's post the other day. Remember when you were a kid and you thought being an adult would be fun? Ha, 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 laughing out loud. It's not all fun. Uh, I, I thought of a quote by Lou Holtz who said, uh, if you ever have seen anything, uh, anyone who's done anything remarkable, you know that they have overcome adversity. Another person said, adversity is God's way of introducing yourself to you. You're going to find out what you are truly made of through adversity. Well, our text is from 2 Kings chapter 5, and it's a story of a young servant girl, unnamed, who has a key role to play. In fact, as you listen to the story, you're going to find out that servants throughout the story have key roles to play. We begin with verse 1. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram, which was basically Syria. So he's the general of all the armies of the Syrian king. He was a great man in the sight of his master, and he was highly regarded. Because through him, the Lord, interesting, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had adversity in the form of leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she was serving the general's wife. She said to her mistress, Naaman's wife, if only my master, your husband, would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he could cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went to the king, his master, and he told him what the girl had said, who was from Israel. By all means, the king said, go. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant, the general, Naaman, to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. One king to another, do this thing for me. 
As soon as the king of Israel read this letter, he tore his clothes and he said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? So why does this king of Syria send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the prophet of Israel, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent this message to the king. He said, why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. And so you hear the beginning of the story. What's fascinating about this story is not only what we know, but also what we don't know. There's a lot we don't know about this unnamed servant girl. Uh, The scripture only tells us, now bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she now served Naaman's wife. We don't know how she was taken, except in a a raid. I I think about the only comparison that we could make in in American history would be, you know, when... uh, Settlers were moving in wagon trains out west and occasionally would be raided by Native Americans who didn't want them in their land. They would kill everybody and sometimes take the children and raise them in their tribes. I would imagine that this girl had watched her parents slain before her very eyes. Who would allow your daughter to be taken and not lay down your life for her? Now, perhaps her parents were also taken. We just don't know. But in any case, she was not there voluntarily. She was not an intern. You know, she was not trying to uh, work her way through the organization. She was there under duress. She was nothing more than a slave. We know that about her. She was obviously also old enough to know something. She knew about leprosy. She knew that it was a deadly disease. And she knew about a prophet in Israel. And she knew about her faith, that this is the true faith, and that prophet has power to do miracles. So she was not a baby. She was older, which makes her uh, willingness to help her slave master even more interesting. Now, as as I think about that, uh, I think about you. There's so much about you that I simply don't know. And that reminds me to always be slow to judge somebody else just based on superficial observation. You know, we often talk to our staff here at the congregation as we deal with people that are angry, people that are upset. uh, We just say, you know, just slow down a bit. We don't know why they're upset. But I do know that hurting people tend to hurt other people. So let's not just deal with the behavior. Let's deal with what may be causing the behavior. Let's be a little more gracious towards that person. And then sometimes when you see somebody who's, you know, slow to engage, they show lack of initiative. And and we might think that they're just lazy. And they don't have uh, the drive that is necessary. And, And so we might even be critical. We might heap it up on them to try to get them to move more. When in fact, the reason that they hesitate is they've been crushed. The point is there's so much we don't know about each other. Unless you have a conversation. It's just so important when you're curious about somebody's behavior that you would sit down and say, tell me what's going on with you. I don't know if you watch any of these reality shows where singers are involved. 
uh, American Idols one, but uh, the voice is on right now. And, and uh, I appreciate that because the judges actually interact a lot more uh, in a helpful way uh, with the contestants. And Alicia Keys is, is new to the judging panel this year. And if you watch all of the judges who comment on, on the merits of the song or the merits of a person's connection with the song, listen to Alicia. She always say, tell me something about you. What's your story? I'm kind of curious to know a little bit more about you. I just admire that in her, that she goes to the heart of the person. Not only do we not know a lot about others, others don't know a lot about us either. And so when I see somebody react to me, I think they don't know my story. I shouldn't be so quick to judge them or dismiss them, you know, as being insensitive to me. I shouldn't be so easily offended because I perhaps have not revealed everything to them that kind of explains who I am and why I am like I am. And so I just think there's a whole lot we don't know about this girl and the adversity that she has faced. There's a whole lot we don't know about each other. We should be more patient with each other as we deal with those who have faced adversity. The other thing that's fascinating in these opening sections is that the servant girl did not allow a bitter situation to make her bitter. She shows maturity beyond her years. Often we feel justified in being bitter because life hasn't treated us well. And when we behave that way in the midst of adversity, we're typically doing that because we're comparing ourselves to others and we're saying, it doesn't happen to them that way. Why does it happen to me this way? Nothing good ever happens when you compare yourself with somebody else. She accepted her situation. Slavery was more common in those days than it is today. But she knew that was her situation. And she was going to make the very best of a bad situation, no matter how bad it was. Her attitude would determine how bad it was for her. Just so critical. The mindset in dealing with difficulty. The Bible tells us, in fact, Paul wrote it to the young pastor, Timothy, He said, godliness with contentment, Timothy, is great gain. Thinking, how would God have me react? How would God have me behave? And being content in my situation is the key to a good life. For don't you realize that you brought nothing into this world? It is certain that you carry nothing out. If you have food and clothing, could you just be content with that? And can you say, today's going to be a good day? God has provided so far. You know, if you know the Lord, and I believe this with all my heart, no matter what your circumstance, no matter what your setback, no matter what your health situation, no matter what your financial loss has been, if you believe in the Lord, you have the key to a blessed life more than those who have not suffered the adversity that you are suffering. In fact, the scripture says it this way in Paul's letter to the church at Rome. He said, in all the adversity we face... We are more than just overcomers, conquerors, through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, not angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future nor any powers, no height nor depth nor anything in all creation can separate us from the love of God that has been shown me in Christ Jesus. Jesus died for me. God has redeemed me, not only for eternal life, but also to know that he loves me and he will provide for me in this life 
if I will but act in faith, believing that somehow he is going to provide. I don't know how, and it doesn't look good right now in the midst of my adversity, but I know the Lord, and I know the Lord has all power in heaven and on earth, and I know that no one has ever loved me like he has loved me, so I'm good. Let's continue with the reading of the text, verse 9. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots. Remember, he went to the king of Israel, and the king said, I have no ability to help you. And the prophet said, send him to me. So Naaman went with all of his horses. You can imagine uh, his sub-generals, lieutenants, his chariots, all of his power, all of his might. And he stopped at the door of the prophet's house. He just comes rolling up. Elisha did not go out personally. Elisha, the prophet, sent a messenger to him. Go wash yourselves seven times in the Jordan River, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Interesting, he sends a servant out to see this great general. But Naaman went away angry, and he said, This is not my expectation. I thought that he would surely come out himself. After all, I'm a mighty general. I have this huge display of authority and power. And he dissed me. You know, he disrespected me. Uh, I thought he would come out and he would call in the name of his Lord and God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Far Par, the rivers of Damascus, better than all of the waters of Israel? I mean, we have some beautiful streams up north. Couldn't I have washed myself in them and be clean? So he turned and he went off in a rage. He wasn't going to do what the prophet had told him. But notice, Naaman's own servants, other servants, a servant from Elijah, servants from Naaman, went to him and said, Dear father, and it's interesting, although this guy was impetuous and, and he was uh, used to using force and power, yet those around him still knew that he had a tender side to him. And they came to him and said, My father, if the prophet had asked you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he changed his mind. And he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored. And he became clean. His flesh like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all of his attendants came roaring back to the man of God. He stood before him and he said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except the God of Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him to accept his wealth, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, then please hear me out. Uh, Let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the god of this land, this dirt. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. Interesting uh, closing concern. Because he knew he was going to have to go back to a pagan land and serve a pagan king. He said, uh, I, I had this one concern and I just want to clear it up with you. May the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master, the king, enters the temple of Rimon... 
to bow down and is leaning on my arm, I will have to also bow there in the temple of this false god. When I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. And you know what the prophet said? He said, Shalom. Go. Have peace. Don't worry about that at all. What a fascinating and powerful story that begins with a servant girl and ends with other servants. There are no so-called insignificant people in this story. In fact, the insignificant people are really the heroes of this story, as you might consider insignificant. First the slave girl herself, then the servant that the prophet sent to his own king, then the servant that the prophet sent out to this uh, great general, and then the general's own servants. All of them are guiding these powerful men to be reasonable. I think too many Christians, too many of us, think that our station in life or the adversity that we are facing has not given us, you know, leverage, has not given us a place, has not given us a voice, and so we are quiet, way too quiet. When in fact, your adversity is your authenticity. It gives you voice to speak where others cannot speak. It it gives you the ability to pierce through all the noise and be heard because no one expects it. You know, if you've suffered a setback in your life, you have a whole audience of people who have suffered similar setback and you can speak into their life like no one else can speak into their life because you have experienced what they have experienced. These servants would not allow their difficult situation to rob them of their voice. It's important for us to realize that there is no such thing as an insignificant person, you know, in the kingdom of God. Everybody matters. You matter. No matter what your age, no matter what your wealth, no matter what your health, you have a voice, and that voice needs to be heard. In fact, Jesus reminded us of this also in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, don't you realize that you are the light of the whole world? You, you have a message that the world needs to know, that needs to hear, and no matter how powerful Uh, This general didn't know the key to real life, life on earth or life after life. He says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. You know, if your light is being shown, it will be seen. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl in their house. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone who enters that house. If you allow your faith to be seen, people will be affected by it. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your faith, that they may see your optimism, that they may see your confidence, that they may see your contentment and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let me just make one final observation. God is gracious even when we fall short. To go right back to the beginning of the story, Naaman was a general in an enemy's army. And he worshipped a false god, Rimon. God could have said, I'll have nothing to do with him. He's not one of my children. But that was not God's concern. God moved one of his own children to speak a word to this man. And when this man came down to uh, the king who should have known better and sent him to the prophet, he allowed Elijah to say, send him to me. He was going to use an adversity in this man's life 
to not only solve his adversity, but to solve a deeper spiritual issue. The adversity was an opportunity for the gospel, the good news about God's love for people, to be shown. God didn't reject him out of hand simply because he was not a follower of the true God. And even after he was upset and walked away in rage because the prophet hadn't come out and honored him personally, God didn't say, well, be done with him. I gave him a chance and he passed on it. No, when his servants came and spoke to him, And he later, after refusing, later went down and did what the prophet commanded. The Lord honored his promise and still healed him. The scripture says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Love other Christians, but have nothing to do with those who aren't. But I tell you, love even others who don't believe, who don't know what you know, even people who oppose what you know. And pray for those who persecute you, that you may be truly children who reflect the heart of your Father in heaven. For don't you know that he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous alike? That's our true purpose in life. The clincher is at the end of the story, and and that's why I added it to the assigned text, actually, those verses uh, 18 and 19. Uh, When... When this general who now has come face to face with the true God realizes he has to go back to a pagan culture and he's going to have to participate in pagan practice, he comes to the prophet and he says, I hate to ask, but you know, I'm going to have to go back and my king doesn't believe what I believe now and and I'm going to have to, you know, kind of comply with his belief in a false God and, and I may even have to go into that temple and I may even have to bend a knee to a false god, I hope that you'll understand. And instead of saying, no, you have to stand up for your faith, you have to convict your king, you have to even be martyred for the faith, the prophet said, do what you got to do. God understands. It's an incredible story. In the end, God says, shalom. You know, you have to work in a real world under real conditions. And not everybody that you encounter believes what you believe. Just let your faith shine. You don't have to knock down everybody. You don't have to challenge everybody. You don't have to argue with everyone. Just live your life out loud. Just be the light and the salt that you are to be. And the power of your witness, just like this little servant girl, will be seen and will be effective. There's an ultimate truth about adversity. That God is not the source of evil in the world. He's the solution to evil in the world. Can't tell you how many times when people suffer adversity, why would God allow this? God uses adversity, but God's not a fan of adversity. He takes no delight in adversity, but he will use it for our purpose. There is a devil in the world who does evil. There are other sinful people in the world who do evil. There's my only foolishness, my own foolishness that causes evil in my life. God will use all of that evil and that adversity for my good, but he is not the author of evil. He does not do harm and does not tempt others to do harm either. There's just a few stories that make this so clear. Uh, God uses adversity sometimes to strengthen our faith. Jesus came upon a man who was born blind, and the disciples said, why was he born blind? Because his parents sinned, or was it a, a preemptive strike on the part of God because they knew God knew he would be sinful. 
Jesus said it wasn't that he sinned or his parents sinned. It has nothing to do with sin. It's so that the name of God might be seen. Sometimes adversity comes into our life so that others who are watching us see how we handle an adverse situation as Christian people. And they're affected by our witness. Or perhaps even by the miracle of healing that occurs. So it gives opportunity for the glory of God to be seen. Another example is in the story of the vine and the branches. You know, Jesus said, you know, my father is the keeper of the vineyard. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit will be thrown into a fire. But the branches that bear fruit, you Christian people, you know what he's going to do? Not tenderly care for you. Not, not gently water you. He's going to prune you so that you can bear even more fruit. He's going to strengthen your witness. Adversity is the opportunity for you personally to grow strong. Not just for others to see you. But for you to exercise faith in the exercise of faith through adversity to grow strong. And then finally, there's a passage in Hebrews chapter 12 that says, What father who loves a child does not discipline a child? We all do. It's one of the ways our children know we love them. We say, no, 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 I care too much. I'm not going to allow you to behave that way. I'm not going to allow self-destructive behavior in your life. He says, if we earthly people know to do that, doesn't God know to do that as well? You know, God disciplines us. Through adversity, he turns us away from a destructive path back to a path that is a true blessing. You know, God is not the source of adversity. He's the solution to adversity, and he will use adversity for our benefit. Let me pray. Gracious Lord, I thank you for this uh, detailed story of, of this precious girl and and uh, Naaman's journey from disbelief to faith uh, brought about by so many different uh, people whose names we don't even know. Help us to realize, Lord, that as we live out our faith and as, as we seize opportunity to express love and confidence in you, that other people can be changed and their life can be blessed. We ask it in Christ. Amen.